Welcome to the NLPCourses.com show, where we push past the hype and pull back the velvet curtains of creating a successful life with NLP. Diving into physiology, neuroscience, and linguistics so that NLP becomes a practical tool at home and in your career, moving beyond the techniques so that you can make a name, make money, or make a difference. Tune in weekly if you care more than others think wise as we set out on our quest to uncover the secrets of successful people from all walks of life. Make sure you head over to nlpcourses.com to subscribe to receive our newsletter and receive free transcripts of each show. Here's your host, NLP Master Trainer, John Cassidy Rice. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. My name is John Cassidy Rice and I have the pleasure to be your host. Today we're exploring one of the classic techniques within NLP. We're exploring rapport building. Rapport is a French word. It has its roots in Latin, rapore. The translation to that is to bring back, to bring back. So let's rephrase that for our use of the word rapport. To give somebody the gift of being understood by entering into their world. To give somebody the gift of being understood by entering into their world. Or as Stephen Covey says in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, seek first to understand and then be understood. In this session, we're going to be exploring what is rapport building and what are some common mistakes people fall into when attempting to build a rapport with somebody. Also, we'll be exploring something I'm calling rapport hooks or making somebody work for the rapport. So rapport is all about making connection with somebody, being able to get along with somebody else. It helps us achieve our own personal goals to help other people achieve their goals, avoid isolation and loneliness. So is this something we naturally do? Yes, it is. So why are we spending any time on courses and trainings and here on this podcast talking about rapport building? Well, let's have a look at study done by the Myers-Briggs people, the MBTI. Now, I am Myers-Briggs trained, and so I can administer the tool. But if you haven't come across Myers-Briggs, or another term for it is the MBTI, it's a typology. And as a typology, it wants to put people into boxes. Now, like I said, I am Myers-Briggs trained, and I love the stuff. And they make it very clear that this is not about putting people into boxes. And then the very first exercise you tend to do after you've done the test is they'll say to you, okay, everybody, go and put your name in the box that corresponds to your best fit, which does make me laugh. Anyway, one of the lovely things that the Myers-Briggs people do is a lot of research. And one of the researchers they were exploring was when you go into a shop to buy a high price ticket item, so we're not talking cars or houses here. We're talking things like washing machine, cookers, um, computers, MP3 players, etc. So not something you buy every day, but a high price ticket item. What they discovered was out of every 10 people that were walking into the store. Yes, this was done in America. They noticed that seven out of the 10 wanted to buy something that day and had every intention of buying it. Only two out of that seven were walking out with the product and they wondered what was going on. Where was the disconnect? And a disconnect seemed to be this. The salesperson could gain rapport, a connection with somebody who was like themselves 
or very close to like themselves, but struggled to get along with people who was different from them. Now think about this. If we train that salesperson to be flexible in that own behavior and to be able to connect with one more person that they wouldn't normally connect and they sell one more item their sales are just increased by 50 percent now translate that into what you do what if a teacher could gain rapport with just one or two more students what impact would they have over a lifetime of that student what about counselors therapists managers team leaders so how does this rapport stuff work? Well, at a very basic level, whenever you meet somebody, your unconscious mind is asking a question. And the question seems to be this, how much are you like me? And the more that you are like me, the more I trust you. So that means we come across ways of being able to gain rapport with somebody through matching and mirroring. So if you match somebody, you do exactly what they do. And if you mirror them, you're the mirror image. So if you wanted to gain rapport with me and you are gonna use matching and I raise my right hand up, which hand would you raise up? That's right, your right hand, you're doing exactly what I'm doing. Now, if you wanted to be a mirror image and I raise my right hand up, you would have to raise your left hand up. Excellent. So we kind of know that stuff. And yes, it is important for us to avoid mimicry, although that sometimes works also. So for example, I was doing some work with the drug action team and this one guy said, yeah, yeah, this is all well and good, but I work with young offenders. What do you suggest that I do? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I've got this one young man who comes in for his meeting every week. He said, give him his due, he always turns up. He comes in, sits down, crosses his arms and pulls his baseball cap over his eyes and sits there and does not say a word. I've done everything bar dance on a table to get this young man's attention. So what do you suggest that I do? I said, get yourself a baseball cap. And he went, no. And I said, it's either that or dance on the table. And he thought about it for a moment. And he said, I'll get a baseball cap. So he got hold of this baseball cap and was sitting there wearing it when the young man came in. The young man sat down, did what he always did, pulled his baseball cap over his eyes and sat down, crossed his arms. So this guy did the same. He said he crossed his arms and pulled his baseball cap over his eyes. And he said, as he, they both sat there in silence, what went through his head was this. He's going to hit me. And time slowed down. And eventually this young man looked over and said, what's up? And that was his way in and he started communicating. So yes, sometimes mimicry does work, uh, but it's done in a very particular time. And often we're talking about flexibility of behavior to enter into somebody else's world, give them the gift of being understood. So what are some of the mistakes that people make when attempting to build rapport when they first start to learn these skills? First mistake is not to have a goal for the communication. So how can you judge whether you've been successful in connecting with somebody if you don't know your outcome? So this also indicates that rapport can be content dependent. So what do I mean by that? So for example, sometimes people mistake rapport building with being nice. And they think that when you're nice to somebody, you're building rapport. And that's not necessarily true. Yes, you can have rapport with somebody and they not like you. You can disagree with each other and still have rapport. And though they don't like you, they may have respect for you. 
So sometimes this being nice gets in the way of the communication, which all comes down to the goal and the context. So what do we mean by that? For example, if you are a manager and you have a team, you want a good working relationship, but that doesn't mean that you have to be friends with your team. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have to be friendly, but it's not that they're going to be your best buddies or soulmates. Well, hopefully not, because that causes some problems within the workplace. Sponsor of this week's NLPCourses.com podcast show is the NLP Train the Trainer Only for the Ambitions who wish to make a living teaching NLP. Apply for your place in this world-class training by heading over to the NLPCourses.com. So you can have rapport with your team and the team not particularly like you, but respect you and have a good working relationship. Now, it sounds a bit harsh to say it like that, but sometimes you see a manager trying to be so friendly that they do want to be your best buddies and that gets in the way of them doing their job. Now, don't think it's just managers because sometimes you'll come across coaches whose primary aim is to be liked and just being liked doesn't mean you can be a good coach, a good therapist, a good mentor. And you know, as a trainer, one of the things that I hope is when I'm training is to create a friendly atmosphere that's joyous and learning. But that doesn't necessarily mean the people in the group that I'm training have to particularly like me for me to do my role. Because as a trainer, I will sometimes use things like confusion, frustration. And I use those because it creates a certain mindset for learning. But if my only goal within the training was to be light, so I had rapport with everybody, I would not like to make people feel uncomfortable because there's a slim chance they may not like me. Doesn't mean they won't respect me or anything like that. So it's all contextual and comes down to our goal for the communication, but be careful, rapport is not necessarily about being liked. Now, one of the other mistakes I find people make is sometimes they try too hard to get along with somebody. Now, as soon as you start to push yourself onto somebody else, the danger of that is that people retreat away from you. Now, you can see this is related to mistake number one about being light. Again, this all comes back down to the goal for the communication. You may have had this experience in your past. There was somebody that you particularly liked and maybe even wanted a date. And the more you seem to want that relationship, the further they seem to move away from you. And then you give up on it all and you sort of think, right, obviously they're not interested in me and you walk away from it and suddenly they're interested in you. There seems to be when you push for a relationship, when you're trying too hard, we send off signals that could be interpreted as desperation. And that seems to be turn off signals for lots of people. And not just in the dating game, it can be applied to business as well. When you're meeting a new client and you're attempting to build a relationship because you're thinking of the money and the workload that goes with that, and you're trying so hard to get this connection with somebody, danger of that is you push them away from yourself. So we have this balance of, yes, I want to connect with you, but I don't want to be chasing you. Now, a variation on that is when you, you want somebody to be involved in something, to read a book, to do a course, and you, want, you tempt to push it onto them. And I've seen this happen. 
NLP is fantastic and it's life-changing and you get people who are very enthusiastic about it and they want to tell everybody and they go out and they say you must read this book you've got to go on this course you have to do John's training and what they don't realize is these people that they're trying to push this information onto are slowly backing away from them well sometimes running from them because when you push and try too hard you push people away Another mistake I sometimes see is that people do techniques at other people. So what do I mean by that? Often at the beginning of a live training, I'll say, has anybody ever had rapport done to you and it was phony and uncomfortable? And you always get one or two hands that go up. Our goal is for you when you learn this stuff is to be a human being and not somebody doing techniques at somebody. So when you're gaining rapport with somebody, like we said, it's not about mimicry, although we don't take that off the table. But if you just mimic somebody and you're not genuinely interested in them, it comes across as phony. So we, we want to avoid that phoniness. And another mistake I sometimes see is this mistake of always going for a deep rapport rather than a wide rapport. You know, you, you come across somebody who loves football and you happen to love football and you talk about football for hours and you're creating a deep rapport on this one area. And then you see them later and they're not in a situation to talk about football and the conversation is stifled and they're not really sure what to talk about. And we see examples of this in many different areas. Do you remember when you were at school and you saw your teachers in the supermarket and they didn't really know what to say to you, you didn't really know what to say to them and it's all very awkward. And that's the danger of a deep rapport with somebody. So if you only go after deep rapport, then what happens is in different contexts, you struggle to communicate. So how do we avoid that? Well, we introduce other topics, not just talk about football. Music, books, cookering, shows, cinema, films, you name it, you just create a wider rapport rather than a deep, narrow rapport. Which leads us neatly into our next topic. You'd think this would all be planned, wouldn't you? So one of the things I've noticed is that you can deepen a rapport by making somebody work for the rapport, which I'm going to call rapport hooks. So for example, if I tell you about my trip to Paris and the storytelling workshop that I conducted out there and that after the event, I got stuck in Paris. I missed my flight home. And then I ended up having to try and find a hotel because I was working in London the next day and just booking the hotel room and getting the Eurostar back in the mornings to the heart of London was an adventure in itself. Notice what I've done. I left a lot of information open for you to ask questions. And this is how we use the rapport hooks. We leave information open to allow the other person to ask questions, i.e. hook them into certain topics. So if in the example I gave you, notice I talked about going to Paris. And you could ask me what was Paris like? What else did I do there? Where did I stay? Uh, I talked about doing a storytelling workshop. And you could ask me questions about well, who was the storytelling workshop for? And what was the outcome? And how do you go about designing a storytelling workshop? I also told you that I missed my plane. You could ask me, so how did you miss your plane? What happened? Why did you miss your plane? And all those are unanswered questions within the story. Also, I said that it was an adventure just getting somewhere to stay and getting onto the Eurostar. Well, what was that adventure? 
and I didn't even mention a night out in Paris that we went on and we went to the Merlin Rouge and just had an incredible time. So notice by not giving the body all the facts and information, it creates gaps in knowledge. And then those gaps in knowledge allows the other person a hook, if you like, into a conversation with us. It also means that the other person is much more committed to the communication because they're engaged with the communication. Wow, once again, are you aware of just how much we covered in this session? And never underestimate the power of building rapport and the flexibility of behavior. So let's recap some of the things that we explored. We talked about rapport, what is it? And it being a French word, had its roots in Latin, rapore, meaning to bring back. We had our own definition of that. To give somebody the gift of being understood by entering into their world. Giving them the gift of being understood by entering into their world. We also explored a case study from the Myers-Briggs of the importance of building rapport within a sales situation and we expanded that out to other areas of our lives. And then we start to explore some of the mistakes people make around building rapport, in my opinion. And one of those is wanting to be liked, to being too nice. And we explored, maybe controversially, that you don't have to be liked to have rapport with somebody. You can still have respect and understanding and get the job done. And there were situations, i.e. like a manager and team members, where crossing that boundary into true friendship is actually not the right thing to do. We also explored that trying too hard to like somebody, to get along with somebody, can often push them away. And in pushing them away, we are not achieving our goals. And while we mentioned that, having a goal for the communication matters and the context of the communication matters also. We also start to explore this concept of deep rapport vis wide rapport, and that it is challenging for us sometimes to go for this wide rapport because we seem to always want to have a deep rapport with somebody. And again, that is contextual, which led us neatly into talking about rapport hooks, and that when we're communicating with somebody is to purposely leave out some details so that the other person has to ask questions and thus committing to the relationship on a deeper level and that's just one of six ways that we can create rapport hooks if you've got any questions if i can help you in any way if you want to know more about my trip to paris or even the storytelling workshop please do let me know in any way that you want to you can leave a comment on facebook on google plus on twitter if you want to send me a scene telegram if you want snail mail if you want to send me a pigeon i will respond to you have a wonderful week. And if you go out and use those rapport hooks, let me know how you get on. At your service, John Cassidy Rice. Thank you for tuning in. You were just listening to NLPCourses.com podcast show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and make sure to head over to NLPCourses.com to subscribe to our newsletter, where we keep you updated with in-depth NLP topics. Subscribe and stay tuned for upcoming episodes on neuro linguistics, programming, and beyond.